My name is Coach Tim Sudan, and you're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk. On Shriver. Tyler with scores! Now scores! Hands off for Rabel, switches hands and scores! Kylie O'Miller showing off those shifty skills. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson! Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk, the voice of Pro Lacrosse. I'm Hutton, he's Adam, together we're bringing you interviews with your favorite players and coaches, as well as news from all four professional lacrosse leagues. We're here with Coach Tim Sudan, former Pro Lacrosse player in the NLL and MLL, 2014 MLL Coach of the Year and current head coach of the Chrome Lacrosse Club in the PLL. Coach Sudan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. We're looking forward to kind of getting uh, a deep dive into your entire career. Uh, But first off, we want to kind of just start out in uh, where you grew up in Fairport, New York, right outside Rochester. Uh, When did you first get involved in the game of lacrosse? It was uh, sixth grade. I moved from the village of Fairport actually the house that I live in right now, I bought it from my daughter. And um, there was a big lacrosse game going on in my side yard, and I never had seen the sport before. So there was a lot of um, kids playing in the neighborhood um, that were my age and, you know, up through varsity. So there was like a, a wide range of guys, and they all played together. And we came around the corner in the moving truck, and there was a big lacrosse game going in our side yard because they have a pretty big side yard. And mm-hmm. then we pulled in and they all scattered. <laughs> they all became friends of mine. And that's how I was kind of introduced to the game. That's great. And yet you, you obviously uh, stuck with it and ended up uh, playing at UMass where you were an All-American for the Minutemen with 84 goals during your career, which is a program's career record uh, for middies. Describe kind of your decision to, to go to UMass, what maybe went into that, and how did your game progress while you were there? Yeah, the recruiting process was far different back then. Um, you know, I think I made a decision to go there after visiting Virginia, uh, Hobart, um, and UMass. Um, I wasn't really into the whole thing, but uh, Guy Vinarsdale um, is a Geneva guy. And he was the assistant coach at UMass. And I went up there, and my the senior at the time that took me to dinner was a guy by the name of Jerry Byrne, who is now the the uh, Harvard head head coach. Yep. And um, you know, dropped me off with uh, a guy by the name of Sal Acasio, which most people will recognize that guy. Maybe. Yep. For sure. Jeff Salinger was his roommate. They were sophomores at the time and um, dropped us off at the dorm and did what what uh, college recruits did back then. <laughs> and uh, I remember leaving the next day and telling my parents I'm going to UMass. And I had been on one other overnight and uh, didn't get the same feeling, um, but loved it, loved it. Coach Garber was amazing. Love, love Coach Fenarsdale, and the boys couldn't have been more gracious. And it was a great, it was a great situation, and loved it, and made a decision, and I stepped out on the field at UMass in the mm-hmm. fall, and there was like 200 guys. Trying out. <laughs> That's an exaggeration, but I mean, there was probably three fields worth of guys trying out, and I was looking around, I'm like, how am I ever going to make this team? <laughs> so. It was motivating, to say the least, but by day two, they had cut that in half, and um, 
and then they started narrowing it down from there. But you know, it makes it a little easier when you're on scholarship and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, just uh, you know, met some of my, my best friends at UMass and and had an opportunity to play with those guys and against those guys after in both the uh, NLL and what actually started as the MILL. Mm -hmm. um, I played in Boston, and uh, my whole goal was to try to make that U.S. national team. And mm -hmm. kind of, you know, career-wise, took a backseat to exactly what I wanted to try to accomplish in the cross and always find myself leaving on a Friday to go to a tournament so I could stay sharp in the summer. And um, But... Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun and got to play for the Boston Blazers with a handful of UMass guys there and and then uh, ended up making the world team and I guess we would have made it in the summer of 93 and then uh, that was in Manchester, England in 94 when we beat Australia in the finals and that was kind of where things took off for me as far as playing on that team and you know, then having opportunities uh, both indoor and outdoor to uh, play. I wish I played in the MLL when I was younger. I, I don't think I played until I was like 33 years old. Wow. I think I was like 33, 34, 35 years old in that league, um, which, you know, it, it was still a great opportunity, And but it was, you know, if it was six years before then, I would have been <laughs> way, more, way more dominant, but. Mm -hmm. um, it was a lot of fun, but um, all that all that experience along the way has has really made it easier for me to understand what's really important on coaching these professional guys and what they have to go through, like juggling not only the lacrosse piece of it and being in the best shape that they can, but you know, we got a lot of guys with families now and ch young children and work and all these different things that thin out exactly what, um, you know, they can prioritize on a week-to-week -week basis. So um, that that insight was has been very important to my success as a coach and um, my ability to communicate with the guys and have an understanding of what's, well, what's, what's important. No, that's great that you were able to take that, um, you know, in your coaching career. Uh, I want to talk about too. You mentioned how important it was for you to play on that Team USA team. You you won world championships in both the '94 and '98 uh, seasons for the world championships with Team USA. Um, what was it like, you know, suiting up for Team USA and, um, you know, kind of reaching the the pinnacle of you know a lacrosse player's career at that point? It was it was a goal of mine. I tried out in 1989 when I was a uh summer between my senior junior and senior year in college at UMass and I went I was not prepared at the tryout to play on turf when it was raining I didn't have turf shoes the first weekend anyway when I didn't make that team and I saw how close I came to making that team I was like I made it a goal and so achieving that goal number one was really cool but I think the more important part is when you put on that USA jersey and they give you all the gear and you're sitting there, the first um, national anthem that's played when you're standing on the sideline is probably the most 
emotional part of the entire thing. It's like you're filled with pride and, um, you know, to play for your country and, you know, everything that went into the time you had to invest in, mm-hmm. in, in, in your craft to be able to make that team, like just make the tryouts is tough enough. Yeah. You know, but um, no, I was very blessed to be in a spot to, to make those teams and, you know, the friendships that I've gotten along the way and including from that team has been amazing. You know, not only did you play for Team USA, but you talked a little bit about your time in the NLL and, and the MILL a little bit uh, as well. You started off with the, that original Blazer squad and, and moved on to Rochester and had a pretty awesome career spanning over a decade, 11 season with the Nighthawks. And you, you had immediate success once you hit Rochester. Not going to lie, I was just watching uh, the 95 championship between uh, you and the Wings. I found an awesome screen grab of you. I'll have to send it to you. Um, but talk a little bit about your time in the MILL and NLL and uh, your awesome career uh, with the Nighthawks. It was really cool. I mean, you, you think about professional lacrosse, and I think my first year playing in the mm-hmm. major indoor lacrosse league, um, I think I made a thousand dollars. Honestly, I think it was one hundred and twenty-five dollars, eight games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it was really, you know, for the love of the game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And over by the time I ended up in Rochester, I was probably making more like five hundred dollars a game, and the games had expanded. So. Mm-hmm. It was it was really rewarding. By the time I finished, I was making a thousand dollars a game, both indoor and outdoor. Okay. And I was the secretary for the Players Association, so I was making another handful of money there. Mm-hmm. And the first year that the Rochester Rattlers came to t- town in the MLL, I dropped everything and went back to school to be a phys ed teacher. Okay. So during those three years of – actually, I played for four years because I played in the, the uh, showcase year. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to get a degree and start teaching, and I was like a stockbroker and in sales and did all this stuff that I just didn't love. And I was able to – you know, lacrosse gave me back that opportunity to go um, when I had a young son um, – <laughs> back to college and yeah. and uh you know find a career that I love doing every single day so um it's always a give and take right like early career kind of just gave up on that I just wanted to play lacrosse and mm-hmm. whatever hire me and allow me to still play lacrosse I did but at the end I was full-time lacrosse player and I was going to school full-time and yeah. it was a perfect fit so it ended up working out perfect for me in the long run. And then after I finished my career, I played indoor until I was 37 and outdoor until I was 35. And I just couldn't manage doing both in school, especially with, I think my son was like two and a half years old by the time I decided to retire. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think I figured out 42 weekends a year I was either busy or out. And I was like, okay, enough's enough. Mm -hmm. And um, it just, it it was perfect. It gave me back that 
you know, something that almost was kind of taken away from me because of my attitude towards like, I am going to do whatever I can to play professional lacrosse and, and, um, for the U S national team. And then all of a sudden it's come full circle, um, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, you, you spent some time uh, as the assistant GM with the Nighthawks in 08, and then eventually the Rattlers came back to Rochester, um, and you took over as head coach from B.J. O'Hara in 2011. Um, you guys had some growing years, you know, your first couple years um, as coach of the Rattlers, but you eventually would win 2014 Coach of the Year in the MLL and take the team to back-to-back MLL championships in 2014 and 2015. Um, you know, unfortunately losing in both, but um, how were you able to take that team and kind of turn it around, you know, make them a championship caliber team. Um, and how did you see kind of your own coaching style develop over those years? Well, it's, it, it's funny when I, um, I, I interviewed, um, I guess against BJ for that Rattlers job. And I'm not a very good interviewer because I'll tell you exactly what happened. I was like, I was with the owner and the GM and I was like, can I just ask who, who, you know, who else are you guys looking at for this job? Because, you know, I just felt like that was a good question. And and they were like, B.J. O'Hara. I was like, why aren't you hiring B.J. O'Hara? Because <laughs> 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 I was a big fan. And the last time he was in Rochester, he um, won a championship mm-hmm. with, in the NL or in the MLL. Mm-hmm. So they, they were like, well, we were thinking about changing the name. And if we change the name, we want to re brand everything and have a different new head coach. So they ended up going back to the Rattlers, which I played for, you know, in the first few years Mm -hmm. and, um, and things didn't go well for him in the beginning. And the coach or the owner was a fiery guy. And he called me after they, they lost their fifth and sixth game back to back. Like it was like a Friday, Saturday night. So I get this phone call at Saturday night at 1030 at night. I'm like, I was like, hey, Rob, how are you? He's like, do you want to still coach? <laughs> I don't know if it's possible at this point. I got to check with my wife. But um, so, yeah, it was pretty cool. And I, I think that week, like everything that I thought of, like, how do I prepare myself? How are these guys going to respect me? How can I pull from my playing career to – best serve these guys. Like I don't need to win another game in my life. Like I want to provide these guys the best opportunity to win. Like I don't, you know, I don't look at wins and losses as a coach um, from a super competitive spot. I I just want to pr- create a really good opportunity for these guys to be successful. And it's not, it's, it's just unselfish. I, I'm not in it for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel now. I, like, you know, the game comes at these guys so fast that they have to make decisions. And my plain and simple thing that I say to these guys is like, just don't make the same, you know, learn from your mistakes and don't make the same mistakes over and over again, or else you're not going to be playing. And that's the number one thing that these guys understand is you take the playing time away mm-hmm. and, you know, but the other the other thing that became very clear when I was doing some soul searching in those early few days, I was the coach before I, you know, sat down and met with these guys um, was, well, the culture has to be really good. These guys invested so much time away from, 
you know, their homes during the week, weekends in the summer, that they have to really enjoy coming and being a part of what we do. Mm-hmm. So right out of the gate, that was number one thing is like, okay, you know, and one of the things I learned from coming in halfway in the season is how, how important, how empowered guys feel when you make them part of what the game planning is going to be. Like what, what should we run? What have you been running? What should, what do you think would be better? Mm-hmm. And we sat down at, you know, a table, the offensive guys and coach Monty was uh, the, the, the coach that I brought with me, he sat down with the defensive guys and we just hashed out what it was going to look like and empowering guys to make, help make decisions on um, game planning, you know, honestly personnel, like, Hey, what do you think of this guy? I got an offer for this guy. Is he a good locker room guy? You know, does he grind it out on the field? Is Does he go a hundred percent when he steps on the field? Because I was kind of out of the loop in watching these guys and understanding who they were. Like at this point, I've been watching a lot more college lacrosse than I have uh, in the past, so I didn't really know these these guys as well. So we mm-hmm. really, you know, put a lot of stock into what guys felt about other guys, superstars. Hey, I got a trade opportunity for this guy, Coach. You don't want that guy, or Coach. That guy would fit perfect. All right. And so that's how you that's how we build culture. I mean, when we were in Rochester, we used to have cookouts here, make sure we have a, get guys in early and we'd have a cookout and you know, can jam and wiffle ball in the side yard and just try to do as many cool little things and um, you know, Galloway and White and some of the older guys along the way. When we go when we're on the road, we make sure everybody eats together. Everybody gets up and goes to breakfast together. Mm-hmm. And that that's not as much me as it was the guys that were on the team, but it was, it was more of a like, Hey, you know, how are we going to make sure the culture's good? And they always included mm-hmm. everybody. So it was much different than other teams when, when you would go to dinner after a game or whatever, everybody went together, you know, and that's how I foresee putting this, this group of guys together. And, um, you know, I'm really excited about getting together and nervous at the same time of what's going on in the world. And, um, but looking forward to getting after it. Yeah. And, and you, you talked a bit uh, about a few of the, those rats you, you have back on this Chrome squad after you, you took that job in the PLL. I mean, you talked about Galloway a little bit, Jordan McIntosh, Rannigan, Joel White, Jordy Wolf, and Donnie Moss, who you picked up uh, just recently in the entry draft. So talk a bit, little bit more about that excitement to kind of be reunited with those guys and, and start something um, new with new players. And is there kind of some unfinished business with those guys, you know, kind of getting back to it? Yeah, there, there's a lot of – there's some unfinished business for sure. When you lose back-to-back championships, sure. one in the last, like, 36 seconds, one kind of got away with from us, like, three minutes left. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's tough. But we have such a good relationship that over the last few years, you know, I wasn't coaching the two years prior to last year as well, or two the last two years. And um, those guys always call me, coach, you know, talk to me about this or whatever. And they stay in touch or they just, you know, 
hit me with a text here and there and all all, all kind of on their own time and um but it's been it's been cool i think the relationships that you can form with guys that are adults are far different than what i'm used to with high school guys and mm-hmm. um you know they they've responded and you know having a foundation of this team that is built around a culture that we had i think is only going to speed up the ability to create really good culture with everybody and you know we start to try to build that just by having some conversations with guys that i don't know as well and um you know things are going well i'm really looking forward to training camp Mm -hmm. there with all those guys you know that's awesome and um i do want to talk about a little bit too uh, this entry draft you know we talked about you added veteran donnie moss who you have you know some experience with um you also decided to take uh veteran defender Jesse Bernhardt with your second pick. Uh, kind of what went into your thought process with these this draft? You know, did you have your eyes on both those guys um, from the start, or did you ever consider, you know, drafting anybody else at number two? Um, what was kind of your thought process with this entry draft? So the, the major thought process as we, we looked at where our opportunities were going to be to pick up guys and bring them to training camp. Like what is our – like this is just the first piece – of how we put this team back together. Mm-hmm. After losing a Chris Sabia in the expansion draft, um, we had a huge hole there. I mean, mm-hmm. if you looked at where our success was last year, it was at the offensive end of the field. Mm-hmm. So we heavily protected our offensive end of the field with like, uh, you know, with Joe White and Will Haas and, and, Manly and Galloway, and mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, like when when after they took Sabia, you know we have some older defensemen that that we need to get younger there, mm-hmm. and we need to put together a really solid de- defensive group in order to be successful in this league. And these are our opportunities. We've got the entry draft. There's going to be the college draft, which is light defensively. Mm-hmm. So even if we wanted to grab a Rob Pinnell and then use our fourth pick overall to pick up one of the best defenders in that, you know, the best defender was rumored to be going to play football. Mm -hmm. So we're like, okay, we have to address defense only in this draft. Mm -hmm. And um, it actually worked out the way we thought it would. Um, There was a couple other names that we really, you know, were looking at on – that we thought we could parlay that second pick overall with flopping and getting better defensively as well and try to maybe get, you know, three picks in the draft. And mm-hmm. it didn't work out that way. But um, when it when the dust settled, um, those were two guys that we were really interested in, for sure. And uh, Donnie Moss is probably one of the most underrated D-middies that have played in over the last like five six years and he's a big strong kid that can run and you know he played long stick when he was in college and there's been times over the years that we'd have to give him a a long stick play d midi play close Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's a swiss army knife and Mm -hmm. the more guys you can have like that that are really good in one aspect and can do other things it, it, it makes it really really a lot a lot better, especially if people get hurt or stuff. 
stuff like that during a game. So, but yeah, Jesse Bernhardt was our number one guy we wanted. And then, you know, we figured we could make some trades along the way to maybe get Moss and one other guy. And it just didn't work out that way. So, but Moss is a guy that we wanted because, uh, you know, he had expressed interest in coming over and wouldn't want to see him on any other team but ours. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we actually talked to Bryce Wasserman, who uh, was on the Rattlers last year, um, you know, with Donnie Moss. And he mentioned Moss as a guy who, you know, was one of the few people that had, you know, a wealth of pro experience on that Rattlers team last season um, and just how much of an impact he made, you know, not just from the X's and O's standpoint, but also from a leadership standpoint, too. So, um, you know, I think it was a no brainer for you guys to, to pick him up. And we're looking forward to him and Bernhardt suiting up for you guys this season. But that wraps up our, our main questions, Coach. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsor, and then we'll go into our 5-5 five and five segment. Sounds great. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Today's show is being brought to you in part by Stitcher Premium. You can use Stitcher Premium to listen to shows ad-free such as Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Wolverine the Lost Trail, or our favorite, The Fantasy Footballers. For only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year, you get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, and comedy albums. Better yet, if you go over to stitcher.com premium and use the promo code lacrosse today, you can get one month free. So head on over to Stitcher, sign up, and get your free trial today. All right, so welcome back. Uh, now it's time for our 5 and 5 segment. Um, I'll start off with the lacrosse-related questions. Uh, so we'll ask you five lacrosse-related lacrosse, five lacrosse questions and then we'll ask you five off-the-field questions as well. But uh, the first one for the lacrosse-related is, what are some pregame superstitions or routines that you have? Oh, I try to get rid of all those. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I have my favorite shirt. You know, I try to wear shorts all the time because I hate okay. being hot. <laughs> um, you know, I, I really was superstitious through high school, through college, and, like wearing a specific shirt. Mm-hmm. Now, Ned Karate puts on this shirt that is absolutely tattered that he's been wearing. <laughs> you should see it. It's 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 hilarious. I I would assuming he's still wearing it, but the last time I saw him, he was throwing on this yellow shirt over his, <laughs> and it's torn to pieces. It's it's crazy. But I I try not to get superstitious because if I forget something. I hate that thought process. So, sure. um, yeah, I, I've had some superstitions along the, along the way, but I think more importantly is just being ultra prepared is the uh, and making sure everybody understands what they're supposed to be doing. So I'm kind of moving away from that as a coach, but as a player, it was pretty strong. Gotcha. Um, number two, what has been your favorite venue to play or coach lacrosse at? I think one of the coolest places that um, – I ever played was in the championship in Barrie, um, England. The championship game was on like a soccer pitch, right? Oh, wow. A cool little venue and grass and 
it, it, that was really, really cool. Um, some of the, like the old, um, the old building in Philadelphia was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, love playing there. Um, playing in Buffalo was great. The War Memorial here in Rochester, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the early days, there was like 7,000 seats in there. And they put extra chairs all the way around. So you couldn't, like, you you couldn't walk around wow. the place. <laughs> so they, I think they got six or 800 more seats in there and got got the, you know, the number up to like 75 or 7,600. And they were right on top of you. So that was pretty cool. Um, playing out in Denver at that huge stadium and played in Boston at the football stadiums. It's just, it's weird when you, when you're in there and you know there's 8000 people there and it looks like no one's in the building yet. Mm-hmm. but yeah so there's been some really cool places over the years you know for sure um and then following up with that what uh is the tour stop in this PLL tour that you're looking forward to most yeah there's been there's some places on there that I've never been right I'd love to I'm looking forward to going to Portland you know uh, I think that's probably the number one um, spot that I really haven't been to. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. Um, the the one in Minneapolis, or, or is, yeah, yeah, Minneapolis. Yep. Yeah, I know Coach Monty is really looking forward to that one. Um, so yeah, it should be exciting. I you know I've been I've been to some of the you know, spots, but I'm looking forward to some of these other ones. You know, for sure. Um, and then going off of that, uh, who was a coach that you kind of leaned on as a mentor during your career? Well, a lot of, a lot of my mentality comes from my college coach, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Coach um, Dick Garber was a, an unbelievable human being as far as, you know, you know, he was a run and gun type, type of guy. I remember sitting down with him and you know, saying, Coach, uh, sorry, man, I had a really bad day today. He was like, Timmy, it can't be 100% every single day. He just had a really good way about him. Like, you mm-hmm. kind, you remembered everybody, basically, and and uh, really loved that. Um, one of the guys that I really lean on during this my pro- professional coaching career is my assistant coach, Coach Monty. Like, he coached me um, in the early days with um, – Guy Van uh, was my first Rattlers coach, and and Jack is one of my best friends from high school. We played three sports together all the way through high school. He went to Hobart. I went to UMass. Um, He went off and coached um, college uh, at Butler, Brown, uh, Ohio State. Like, he was in it for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. decided to come back and become a phys ed teacher as I did. And we kind of, um, so I lean on him a lot. My, uh, my high school probably lacrosse coach is probably the most influential guy that I've had, um, in my lacrosse life. Uh, it's still kind of a mentor to me. Uh, Randy Garrett, he's an old Ithaca guy. I played football and lacrosse there and, and he's still around the Fairport team that I coach now. Um, which is really cool. He's a great person and knows a lot about the game, and it's really exciting stuff to have him around still. Yeah, that's great. And then my my final question, 
uh, with the lacrosse related is which coach are you looking most forward to matching up against this summer? <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've met some new guys, obviously. Uh, there's been guys that uh, I played like indoor against and, in the beginning, like Batesy and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I lost complete touch with Andy tower. So I'm really looking forward to that. I think we match up to them with them on game uh, week two. It's our first game. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that, you know, him and I have got a pretty good relationship and, and, uh, Ben Ruby or I coached against for a long time and stags I've coached against and, so I'm looking forward to the whole process, actually. Uh, Andy Towers and I got along really well um, back when we were younger. So I'm looking forward to, you know, running into him for the first time in a while. We talk on the phone, but it's not the same. So, sure. You know, that's great to kind of get you guys and, you know, back together again this time, you know, coaching against each other. That will be pretty awesome to see. For sure. Awesome. All right. So I'll move on to the uh, off the field questions. Number one. Uh, what is your favorite spot to go when you're in Rochester? I have a, I have a couple tree stands that I love sitting in over at okay. my house. <laughs> and then I have then I have a hunting camp of my own that, that's about 30 minutes south, like by Geneseo. Okay. Uh, and I got a couple spots down there. So I really like to hunt and fish. Um, but as far as around here, I'm kind of a homebody. Um, you know, I kind of like being at home and, um, there's, there's kind of like being at the school, coaching the high school kids and that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's a couple of tree stands that when the sun rises, mm-hmm. it's magical. They're calling your <laughs> name. That's awesome. <laughs> kind of, and kind of going off that homebody question a little bit, I think with a lot of people quarantined right now, this will, this will be a good one to ask, but what's a book on your bookshelf or if you're not a big reader kind of podcast, uh, that you'd recommend to one of your players or a former teammate? Yeah, so I've been, I have been um, like tuning into some of the, the podcasts with okay. Trek and, and um, so, so I've been watching a lot of film actually, mm-hmm. um, like trying to get a, get an idea of what some of these younger guys that I've never coached, you know, what their abilities are and, mm-hmm. Um, then be able to have conversations with those guys. And we're putting together some Zoom calls uh, for later today with the offensive guys and, hey, what worked well last year? What, you know, what should we go back to that we used to use? Um, You know, what new thought processes? You know, for me, it's like you can't ask a wing dodger to be a downhill dodger. Mm -hmm. Uh, Downhill dodger to be a wing dodger. So you have to have – the ability to, when a guy's fresh and can be a dodger, put him in the right spot and do it quickly and efficiently in the shot clock scenario. So, Mm -hmm. so we're going to, we're going to start some weekly calls here before we get to training camp and start to understand what guys feel they do best and, and try to make sure that we have stuff in that's appropriate for them. Speaking of game film, like I was watching, I was saying, watching that MILL uh, 95 game, Dallas Eliak has like a full roster of old games. If you ever want to go back and watch, watch the heyday of that league, there's always a good opportunity to do that too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but kind of going off of that a little bit, maybe switching from lacrosse, what's a, your favorite sport to watch that that's not lacrosse? Probably college football. Okay. 
Yeah, I always fancied myself a football guy. And then when I realized that no one was recruiting me to play football, only lacrosse. Um, but, yeah, I love love college football, especially, you know, getting towards the end of it. Um, I would say that. Not a, not a big baseball guy. Understandable. Uh, did play did play in high school. I just don't. I can't watch baseball. I can nap to golf. I like golf because I can nap to that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and then, kind of last up here, uh, what's your favorite meal? And do you prefer to dine out, take out, or cook at home? I like the summer the best um, because we we grill a lot. Um, I'm a venison guy or a steak okay. guy. Um, my wife is more of a a chicken person, um, but you know we usually have a freezer full of venison, so we've got a bunch of different ways we prepare that with rice or potatoes or you know just a garden salad. Perfect, but I I prefer the the summer because I prefer cooking then. In the winter, I like to eat Chinese and take out and yeah. <laughs> grilled cheese sandwiches and stuff like that. But. Awesome. Uh, and, and last question here, since, like I said, we're quarantined, any, any TV shows or favorite TV shows you could suggest to the audience while, while we're inside? I'll tell you, I watched, um, I've watched some movies okay. on, on Netflix, but um, I watched LA's Finest from okay. start to finish. Um, really enjoyed that show. Um, been kind of binge watching Friends again. Okay. And okay. it's rare. It's rare to find one I haven't seen. But over the last week, I've seen one or two <laughs> episodes that I've never seen before. Sure. So love that Great. kind of stuff. I'm a more action style guy. I watch sure. a lot of NCIS, that kind of stuff. Cool. Awesome, yeah, no, some good recommendations for for however long we're going to be, you know, quarantined right now. But, uh, yeah, we appreciate it. Coach, uh, one final question that I like to ask all our coaches and players is, what is some advice that you have for a young player looking to one day play lacrosse professionally or one day coach professionally? I said, do what you love. You know, I, I had a, you know, back in the day, I had a goal in my side yard. I still have the one my father bought for me. It doesn't have the same net on it, of course, but... <laughs> Um, the hours I spent either on the chimney or shooting the lacrosse ball, I, I, I definitely believe it set me apart. I mean, athletically, I was gifted. You know, I think that came along because I just loved to play. I was I actually played four sports through high school. I played baseball in the summer, but I wrestled and I played football. But I, I think being involved in a lot of, you know, different sports helps. Um, I know it's harder this day and age not to, you know, kind of set your focus on one sport. And But at the end of the day, athletically, if you can control your body um, and be strong, uh, that's important. I was, like I said, I was gifted athletically and I did spend, you know, considerable amount of time in the weight room and but shooting and always having a stick in my hand was huge. And being kind of a student of the game came later for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned a lot through college, but I played for the Bryan Lacrosse Club for, you know, several years after um, moving to Boston after 
uh, after college and how insightful some of those guys that had been playing club for five, six years were on tempo of the game and, you know, possession time and different things like that. I learned an awful lot during that period of time. And um, the indoor game for Americans is really important. It a lot, it's, it's a whole different skill set, honestly. It's passing, catching in tight quarters. And, you know, I played 15 years. And I think, it, you know, each each year that I played, I became a better outdoor lacrosse player. Mm-hmm. And things come at you quick and you're able to make quicker decisions and you see the field differently. And, you know, I, I learned a lot during that. So any any opportunity to kind of play some box lacrosse, you know, with real box lacrosse, not mm-hmm. like play field lacrosse in a box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, just, you know, be all in. I think that's that's our motto here in Fairport for our high school team this year. And hopefully we'll be able to play our season. We, yeah. we have almost everybody back after losing in the state championship last year. And, you know, we're really looking forward to suiting up if we can. And then, uh, you know, really looking forward to training camp and getting, getting together with the Chrome guys. And I'm excited to connect with those guys uh, at more of a personal level for sure. No, that's great. And uh, I think that's some good advice for any young lacrosse player, um, you know, looking to one day, you know, reach the pros. So we, we appreciate it, Coach Sudan, for coming on. Um, you know, we want to wish you the best of luck with the Chrome and, and everything, and uh, thank you. Sounds good. I appreciate it, guys. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's show is being brought to you in part by Stitcher Premium. You can use Stitcher Premium to listen to shows ad-free such as Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Wolverine the Lost Trail, or our favorite, The Fantasy Footballers. For only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year, you get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, and comedy albums. Better yet, if you go over to stitcher.com premium and use the promo code lacrosse today, you can get one month free. So head on over to Stitcher, sign up, and get your free trial today.